heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. My fellow Americans, uh, the voice of a nation, Malcolm at eight. Big week ahead here as we celebrate uh, our Independence Day. I hesitate with the word celebrate and when we have a country in such decline and collapse, frankly, uh, to put out there. It's not really, I, I guess in many ways, it's not a celebration. I was just hearing fireworks outside the studio. In fact, I was just commenting on my, to my guests that will be on today and that... Uh, you really you have to think about that a moment you hear the fireworks and what are we really celebrating at this point you know it comes to my mind you know something to think about i guess huh um the one thing we can uh, surely agree on is we are a uh we're divided country to be sure uh but we're also a country it's not just about division because that can be healthy and and i i don't see that as a problem the diversity of thought the diversity of people it's the fact that a lot of people are not playing by the rules, I guess, or we're trying to change the rules uh, for different reasons. And uh, I think that's really where part of the problem is for me anyways, that we see. Um, it feels sort of like a hostile takeover. Maybe that's the way I'd call it. You know what I mean? Like hostile takeover, be the, be the way I'd say it here. With our nation, I'm saying. The fact that we're being pushed and pushed further off the cliff, uh, the far left cliff, that is, of communism, uh, get, let's get right to it. No sense in using social kind of words because it is communism, Marxism. We're headed toward uh, some sort of a um, uh, uh, republic that none of us could recognize uh, for sure. Uh, a lot of things are happening in the republic, friends. You see the Supreme Court rulings in the past week? Fascinating as is, is, is all hell. Uh, and that's where some of the justices are starting to try to bring it back to uh, say, oh, there's the Constitution again. Some of them, they actually found it. I commented on the weekend. They actually found the Constitution, which was remarkable. Uh, it started to act accordingly. But, of course, there are others who don't like that. And... Uh, one of the things I seen that uh, was a problem is the pack in the court. That became a big deal over the past few years. You've heard that where the left has talked about that as sort of their saving grace. You know, again, when you can't play by the rules, you basically have to change the rules. You see how that works. You change the rules and uh, you you force play. You you kind of get into um uh well a hostile takeover. Basically, what you call that, which is really what pack in the Supreme Court would be. It would be a hostile takeover of the country. There is a process, though, of adding amendments and modifying things. And I guess that's one of the questions I want to throw at you today. Uh, so we got a full week of uh, really dynamic conversation and an incredible guest today. On today's broadcast, we'll be joining us here. Uh, one, of, I think, a great voice when it comes to the Constitution, and one of our very own a constitutional expert, Paul Engel, will be here. Wouldn't do this conversation without him, uh, for sure. He'll be here with us and talking a lot about these things today. Uh, also, Wallace Garneau will be with us, just a brilliant mind, and somebody who will add a lot to the conversation. He's written uh, not just on this, but on nullification uh, and other major pieces uh, that uh, gets into the origins of uh, our republic, if you will. Uh, he'll be here as well today. Sidney Powell will be here talking about election integrity, uh, paper ballots, ballot harvest, and that sort of thing. 
I'd like to bring on, uh, let's start with Paul Engel right now. Again, uh, uh, Paul Engel does the Constitution study right here on the network, in fact, uh, plays 4 p.m. weekdays, and he's one of the hardest working guys I know out there when it comes to uh, uh, getting the truth out there. Um, a lot of people don't want to hear the truth today, for sure, but you're going to hear a lot of truth over the next week, friends. You're going to hear some things you'll like, some things you won't like, pros and cons, up and down, left and right. Uh, and my goal for this week is to get us to think a bit outside the lines, if you would, just like when you used to color as a kid outside the lines, like I always did. Uh, that's how you want to think of this week. It's an experiment as we bring forward the possibilities of saving our nation, what that's all about here. Paul, convention of states, when you say those words, people have a sense and a feeling right away of how they feel. And I've actually thrown them out there with people over the past week, uh, off mic even, to get a sense of what they thought about it. Did they like the idea? Didn't they like the idea? How do we describe a convention of states to the American people in its, in its uh, solid but simplest form? How would you explain that, please? Well, if you read Article 5, there are there's a process for changing the Constitution. And Convention of States is one of two processes by which amendments can be proposed. And that's all it is. It's a method for the states to propose changes to the Constitution, the same way Congress has a method of proposing changes to the Constitution. Uh, the big fear factor around a Convention of States, I think why some people think it's our both our salvation, while others think it's our damnation, has to do, we've never done it before. We've never held a convention of states. And even, even the term convention of states is a bit of a misnomer. Right. It's a convention for proposing amendments. Um, and uh, because that's the, the actual language says that the, at the application of the states, Congress will call a convention for the purpose of proposing amendments. Yeah. And what most people don't realize is there's nothing the Convention of States can do that Congress can't do. Three-fourths is the nice three-fourths of the uh, the legislatures have to request it. So yeah, the the Convention of States um, is done at the request of the states, and the the logic behind it is pretty simple. The states created the federal government, and our framers, you know, they were fairly smart men. They realized, right. you know what? We're probably going to not get this exactly right. Right, right. Things are going to change. We're going to have mistakes. We need a method of modifying, of amending this constitution, something they, they didn't have a good. So they built that into it. It was genius, really, the way they did that. But let me ask you this, this whole notion of it. it I want to clarify a couple of points here for me, please. When people say, well, we don't like this constitution. It's not a living, breathing document versus they want it to be ironclad. But yet they built in this changing of the amendments into this process. How does that fit into those two worlds, please? Well, the, the living, breathing document, uh, generally people I hear calling that, they don't want to go through the process. I see. It's like it, it'd be much easier to get a, a judge or a court to simply, you know, wave their hands, ominous, dominus, and now the Constitution means something else. But as is often said, if it doesn't mean what it says, it doesn't mean anything at all. Well, now, then it doesn't mean anything because I don't think our political class are following that. I don't think any of them really follow the Constitution really well, Paul, do you? No. In fact, the political class, the, no, none of the three branches of government actually follow, or the federal government actually follow the Constitution. 
No, that, no. That even, even the Supreme Court doesn't. I mean, how can this in, intellectually, this group of people get together and look at these documents that are supposed to be all of that? And, and you know, like, oh, here it is. You know, it's like uh, the Holy Grail here, Paul. And it's like, there it is. It's like amazing. Best. And I always hear this from people. It's the best document ever like, beyond the Bible. This is like this is it right here. Now, how do you come back and interpret it so differently? The only reason is, is because it's ideology. What else is there, Paul? Well, you've made an assumption that I believe is not true, and that is they actually look at the document. <laughs> See, in law school, they don't teach the Constitution. I've asked attorneys. Get the hell out of here. For, yeah. I've asked them for years. I've heard one man say they studied the Constitution. What they study is constitutional law, which is the euphemistic name of the opinion of other justices. So, you know, if you notice when you, someone like me who reads through opinions regularly, uh-huh. rarely do they actually quote the language of the Constitution. They almost always quote some other opinion, the opinion of a judge. So you get to the the nonsense that says, listen, we know this is unconstitutional, but there's a really good reason for it. So we're going to let right. it slide. Well, that's the because they don't actually document. study the Constitution. Right. That's the live and breathe the document we're talking about or not. <laughs> Now you just said something that really blows my mind, and you, you're and you're being sincere with me. You're not being sarcastic when you say that that they're not reading the Constitution. They don't. That's not part of the paradigm, huh? No, they they don't study it. I, I'm sure they've read it at some point, but there's a difference between reading it right. and and studying it to look at the clause and understand what does it mean, what's its purpose, uh, how would that apply right. in in these situations. Right. It's much easier for for them to just go say, well, you know, Judge so and so said that we can do this, so we're going to take that, and we're going to massage it a little bit to fit in this scenario. All right, Paul, and what Paul, we have I, is a judicial game of, of telephone. All right, Paul, listen, you you blow my mind right out of the gate here, and I have to say to you, then we're going to be doing action items all week long, and the first action item for this entire week has just been exposed right there, right there it has to happen. I mean, it absolutely should be mandated that there's no pass and go and collecting anything on this monopoly board unless you're basing your studies, Mr. Justice, Mr. Judge, Mr. Attorney, on the Constitution. Let, let me bring another voice in here. Wallace Garneau uh, joins us now, and... Um, Wallace, this point that we've stopped right on here with the Constitution itself, I mean, just think of how much we could fix and how much we could do and talk about if people were using this as, you know, I mean, as I always thought, it was our guiding principle and that they would be using this in some capacity. But what Paul is saying that it's really, there's so much ignorance when it comes to this, they're really not doing any of that. I mean, I think you have to identify the problem before you can fix the problem. What do you say to that? Well, let me approach the problem from a slightly different angle than Paul did. I think the root problem is uh, really illustrated by something that the Justice Thurgood Marshall once said when he said that the Supreme Court must have the courage to creatively interpret the Constitution so as to become the legislature of last resort, willing to do whatever the Congress either will not do or cannot do. Um, And from that thought, which other people have, have since embraced, From that thought, what we have is the concept that the Constitution should not be interpreted based upon what it says. It should be interpreted based upon what it should say, which is to say that uh, there's the living document interpretation, if you will, of the Constitution. And I hate using the word interpretation there. It's the opposite of an interpretation. It's the abdication of the Constitution. 
what they really want to do is they want to take the Constitution and say, okay, this is a cute document. Let's go overthrow that in the circular file. And what we'll do is we will have a Supreme Court underneath which we will have British common law. There is no Constitution. It is whatever nine nine people say it is, or the majority of nine people say it is. And we'll just have constant instead of Constitution, we'll have Supreme Court opinions, and that will be our Constitution, which can change very easily. You just have to change a couple of members of the Supreme Court, and all of a sudden, everything could mean something completely different. All right. The danger in a uh, this uh, convention of states now and which is a convention for proposing the amendments is really all we're talking about. Um, the We know there's two different ways. I mean, you, you can do it through Congress or through the states, the representation of the states, uh, three quarters. Uh, what are, Let's talk about the dangers of a convention of states. What are they, Wallace? Well, I don't know that the danger is the way that I would phrase it. However, it is worth noting that as a part of the Convention of States amendment process, they can essentially amend the entire thing and and come out with something resembling the Communist Manifesto. I don't consider that dangerous only because you still have to ratify it. Uh, just the fact that the Convention of States said, look, let's do the Communist Manifesto, that doesn't make it the, the law of the land. So to me, it's well, not a matter there. What makes it the law of the land then? Well, it would have to be ratified by, exactly. by two-thirds of the states. Exactly. Uh, to me, the real issue with the Convention of States is, one, it doesn't. You, I, I don't know what the Convention of States would even be until you tell me what it is the Convention of States would do. The devil's in the details. I'd have to see the amendments they would come up with before I could really have any opinion at all. Personally, I kind of like the Constitution as it is. To me, the root problem is that the Constitution is not being followed and rewriting it with different language and then having the same nine people not listen to it, not pay any attention to it, and interpret it based upon what they wanted to say independently of what it says. I don't see how a convention of states is going to fix that, short of maybe an amendment stating very, very clearly that the Supreme Court is only that the Supreme Court is not truly the final authority on interpreting the Constitution. Yeah, you know, I hear what you're saying, and and it's wise to make the point you, you're making. Uh, stay right there, Paul. Let's get you back in on this point here. And I've read it in some of Wallace's uh, writings as well, uh, which is a good point to make. That I, I when I said the dangers, uh, what what are the dangers? And then he said, well, I don't know the word dangers. It depends if they approve uh, the the if they ratify whatever the hell it is that they're going to ratify. Let me ask you the same question first, and let me let, let's decipher through this. What to you are the dangers of this uh, proposed amendments, this convention of states? I, the only danger I really see is the fact that Congress has already stated they're going to meddle in the uh, in, in the convention process. So, if you read the Constitution, Congress really only has two jobs: when enough states, when uh, two thirds, actually two thirds of the states legislature request a convention congress calls a convention then whatever amendments come out of the convention it's congress's job to determine okay will we ask the states to ratify this by their a state convention or by the state legislature that's right. the only rules congress the only duty congress has but there's a, a congressional research service report that already says no congress has got to be in the middle of it because we got to do this and we got to do that so you're going to have the politicians meddling in the process. Like they always do. No which is, exactly. Uh, that's always so the case. I mean, it, it, it's not that the convention's the problem is, again, we're not following the Constitution. Therefore, um, you know, when 
Well, what, what, what Wallace is saying, though, is that therefore, let me finish that sentence for you. Therefore, whatever you ratify, whatever you do, they're not going to follow either. So what the, what are you wasting your time for? And you would say what, Paul? I'd say exactly. You're, oh, you're not fixing okay. the, the changing the language of a document. No one follows doesn't fix the problem. Right. The the problem is most of the things people I've heard asked for as amendments in convention right. states. Right. are already forbidden under the Constitution. Understood, understood. All right. But so making uh, them super unconstitutional, right. I don't think fixes the problem. All right, well, that, now this is good. This is good. This this is really good because in my mind, we're identifying the bigger problems. We've already identified a couple and there's another action item right there. Uh, and the fact is that we, we've got to take this document much more seriously. And, they, they, you know, so I guess the other thing I want you to consider um both of you, actually, and we're going to get back to this a little bit later in the broadcast. Is and I want you both to think about this, Paul and, and Wallace. Please, you, you've both got you know interesting minds when it comes to this document in our country, and uh, uh, and and think about how do we go about fixing that problem? I mean, I, I don't know what those magic words are going to be like. How do we get people to respect the document? I mean, read the document, understand the document, use the document for guiding principles to run our our um, to run the Supreme Court and to run these uh, these judges from the bench uh, and and get the political class to follow through uh, Congress. Uh, I mean, until that happens, it sounds like it is a moot point, this convention of states. I mean, right now they're really going and I think they're going to try to come back with it again as trying to pack the court and get more justices on there to do what they want to do. They've made the Supreme Court is just another political branch is what it is. It's just ideology and it's politically driven, which makes sense because, well, it doesn't make sense, but it does because these uh, cats, these justices are put forth from the president who also is ideologically driven. So does that make sense? In other words, the whole process is flawed. These are problems that I, you know, we're trying to identify here, friends. And up next now, we're going to have Sidney Powell on. We're going to change up a little bit here and talk about uh, some of these, uh, well, the election integrity, to be sure, but also paper ballots. You see, uh, President Trump, former President Trump just came out and he's also pushing paper ballots. Uh, Sidney Powell's been telling me that for some years now that we need, she's been saying that's the answer. We need paper ballots, Malcolm. When are we going to get those? And then we can fix the problem. You can't rely on this internet business at all. And then, of course, we had all the COVID rule changes, the ballot harvesting and mail-in ballot and, you know, and um, all the stuff into the boxes and all this stuff was done. And that's still ongoing. And that's going to be part of the process. And that's become part of the process now. A lot of that was due to COVID, but uh, President Trump comes out and says, well, I think the right needs to embrace that. I mentioned that to Sidney Powell on the weekend on Viewpoint, and she said, I don't really want anybody to do that, she said. But I said back to her a little bit later in the conversation, but Sidney, if the left is doing that, I mean, don't we have to get down in the mud and play dirty with them if these bastards are doing that? And she she kind of took a double look back and then realized where I was going. She said, well, you have a point. Better believe I have a point. I have a point, Your Honor. That's the point right there. I mean, you you know, you either play nicey, nicey, nice, goody two shoe, and lose the race, or take a baseball bat and over the head you go. Here, right? Wake wake people the hell up. I'm not physically. I'm saying I'm talking mentally here. Not physically. No abuse. No physical abuse. No assault. Uh, there are other ways to do this, friends. 
Uh, stay right there. We're going to continue on here on this uh, amazing week of uh, the week of We the People. Uh, this is it uh, in our 247-year landmark, three years away from the semi-quincentennial of the United States of America. For those of you who were here back in 1976, Right, the bicentennial and all, we've come a long way from patriotic parades coming down Main Street, red, white, and blue, celebrating, standing for the flag. Now they sit on the flag, they they kneel on the flag, they piss on the flag, and they send gay parades down Main Street, USA. What else could possibly go wrong? Stay right there, friends. More Voice of a Nation in just a moment. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, out loud. Welcome back, friends, to the Voice of a Nation. And it is Malcolm Out Loud here. And what a week this is. Uh, wow, this is uh, the week of We the People. The week of We the People is uh, the, well, that's what it is. This country is owned by the people. That was the American experiment. This, this was always designed to be. And we need to bring it back to that. And, and, you know, by golly, the Supreme Court gave us an amazing birthday gift last week back to the American people. They discovered that there was indeed a United States Constitution. Hmm, go figure. Uh, joining me now on the broadcast is Sidney Powell is here. And when it comes to election integrity and all of the pieces around this, nobody can speak about this really better from a from a heartfelt uh, standpoint, Sidney, I think, than you. You come to mind for most Americans because you were there on the front lines. You were fighting this election fraud. You were fighting a lot of the shenanigans that went on. COVID was used to turn a lot of the rules upside down backwards. COVID was used for ballot harvesting. It was used in very uh, nefarious ways in changing these rules of engagement. In fact, Dennis Souza did that uh, documentary on the mules, showing how the deck was stacked and stacking the, uh, the uh, ballots and all that. All of this stuff was used and even changing rules within state legislatures and all of that was done under the guise of COVID. Now, we had the conservatives had been pushing back on all of that. But just recently, President Trump started to put some very interesting things out there. And I was happy to see this, actually, over the past many weeks, last couple of months. He said, you know what? It's time to bring back paper ballots, he said. And I thought of you immediately, because every time we've talked over the years, you always say that to me. If you want election integrity, Malcolm, paper ballots is the way to go. 
Um, so let's talk about that now, the importance of 2024 election, paper ballots, ballot. And Trump also thinks we need to ballot harvest the right. What do you think about those statements coming from uh, former President Trump? Well, I'm glad he realizes the importance of, of paper ballots. I don't like the ballot harvesting idea from any perspective. I don't think anybody should be doing that. I think the right to vote is so important that it needs to be done in in person or with a registered absentee ballot like people used to do uh, before the mail-in ballot scam started. But you're right, COVID was the cover for the massive mail-in ballot fraud that happened in the 2020 election and the, quote, ballot harvesting, which was simply a, a means of producing fraudulent ballots and putting them in drop boxes funded to $400 million worth by Mark Zuckerberg, which shouldn't be allowed either, but that's happening again. We have to have, and the federal elections would certainly be a good place to start because there are fewer candidates there, but at the very least, we should have the president, the Senate, and the House of Representatives decided on paper ballots that are hand counted and, and see how that works. We used to be able to do it. It can be done precinct by precinct and reports can be done very quickly and the counting can be perfectly transparent. The paper ballots will be there to read by the human eye. Right now, they, they like to say in many places that, oh, yeah, we have paper ballots. There's no problem. You can audit the paper ballots. Well, uh, no, you can't because the vote is actually counted by a barcode and the scanner creates its own image of the ballot. They often don't save the actual paper ballots and the mail-in ballots. They don't bother to match the signatures of the envelope with the ballot or even keep the envelopes to prove that it was actually mailed in. There's all kinds of fraud that happens around the, the, quote, paper ballots that exist currently. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a real ballot that an individual fills out themselves that can be read with no barcode and counted by uh, two individuals, one from each party on video if necessary, so everybody can see the ballot and there's no question about it whatsoever. Yeah, that's a great explanation for what a paper ballot is and isn't. And also uh, when in, you know, it's the trickery of the English language, Sydney, uh, when it's still digital, but they suggest it's paper. I've seen those reports and they say, well, no, it's right. a paper ballot, but it's not. It's really digital, as you just described it perfectly. Yep. And that when they say they do a, uh, an audit or a full recount, unless they do a hand audit of the original paper ballots and count them, which nobody did except apparently in Antrim County and uh, maybe uh, Ware County in uh, Georgia. Antrim County was in Michigan, and that's where they found the major mistakes uh, or the what, what the voting machine companies called glitches. They weren't glitches at all, but they, you know, votes had flipped from one candidate to the other. So it's got to be just, a just by, just, just by accident, though, Sydney, wasn't it? Huh. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> just a, a glitch, a human error, whatever. Um, but that's yeah, that's their excuse. And they're sticking to it. What would it take? Do you do you have a sense now of what would it take uh, for this to be just to become a mandate now, a law, this paper, what would we have to do? What would be the process of the procedure? Do you have any idea? Well, it can be done by the state legislatures. Uh, they could mandate paper ballots hand counted for federal office holders. 
and or maybe the governor or you know however they want to do it that's really up to the states or it can be done county by county there are a number of counties now that have started to throw out the machines and require paper ballots i've seen that but we better we better hurry because it's coming fast and i don't see any reason to think president trump is going to be elected under the current scheme when he was taken out of office before you said that comment imperfectly it was very airy listening to you on the weekend on viewpoint this sunday when you made those comments it, w- it was really it was uh, eye-opening to me in the way you said it and the way you parsed your words uh, i think i don't know if listeners got what i got out of it but you it, you said plenty uh, without even having to say it which is always good uh, in this world order um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the reference point of you know, the election and the integrity is what people are most concerned with coming into 2024. I want to ask you, and I, I want to push back on one point to ask you something, Sydney. Here's a big point to you, and this, this is not an easy point, but it's an important one. All too often, uh, the Republican, I think you would agree with me, the Republican establishment and conservatives, they, they play nice city nice as the left continues to push for more and more. And they're pushing the Constitution and patriotism right over the cliff, right into a communist hellhole is what they're doing, we would suggest. And um, yep. all, but all too often, the right doesn't fight fire with fire. When President Trump comes out and says, you know, he wants the country to mandate election day vote, and in most instances, okay, but concedes that Republicans must embrace all available voting options. So when you talk about all this mail-in voting and ballot harvesting and all the shenanigans that were pulled in the last election, if the left is going to use that in the nefarious, evil ways that they're using this, Sydney, should we not? I mean, listen, I'm just I'm just asking. I'm just putting it out there. Doesn't right. the right have an obligation to fight fire with fire and say, we're going to do the same damn thing unless you people stop it? Don't we have a right to do that? Well, we we certainly have a right to do it to the extent that we follow the law, but I guarantee you that if we do what they did, we're going to be prosecuted for it <laughs> because they committed fraud. <laughs> they committed abject fraud. They They falsified ballots. I mean, there were reports of significant stacks of ballots that were absolutely pristine with computer generated ovals for Biden and no other vote on them. And they were repeatedly run through machines. Now, if any Republican does that to favor President Trump or anybody else, they're going to be put in jail. We've got a horrific double standard. So whatever the Republicans do, they need to be darn sure they follow the law. Yes. And the way the system is rigged right now, (laughs) <laughs> the way the system is rigged right now, there's no way they're going to let Trump win. Uh, there's a double standard everywhere. And you point that out. Uh, it's, it's important. People do understand. You're right. When you talk about the laws and so many laws were broken in the last election and they got away with it just the same. And the courts, the courts went along with the shenanigans as well. The courts haven't stood up for anything either, uh, Sydney. No, they haven't. They absolutely haven't. A stand-down order came from the Trump Department of Justice to, to stop investigating any of the fraud and to do nothing. I don't understand that. To my dying day, I will not understand that. And we are where we are because the law enforcement agencies across the country did not do their jobs. 
these law enforcement agencies and these departments have been weaponized. I would suggest back to you, they're totally weaponized. And a lot of this weaponization, the, a lot of this weaponization, though, Sydney, and the people in these uh, departments, may, I, I will remind you that a lot of these people were put into position of power. I'm going to just tell you the way I see it back in the Barack Obama administration. Oh, yeah. He, he embedded his operatives deep in the federal government everywhere. 100%. And it's it's still ongoing. And that's what Trump couldn't flush out in time, to your point about a Department of Justice. But, you know, I seen someone the other day that came out and said they thought Attorney General Barr is as corrupt as the day is long. And listen to his recent comments and things he's saying. But he was part of that problem as well, not to mention Sessions of the corruptness in that department. Nobody exposed it. That Look at the corruptness of James Comey and Brennan and Clapper, uh, the corruptness of that. I mean, they're, these are communists. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've written articles about that for years now. So how do they get away with all that? Nobody held them accountable. Nobody in Congress has the fortitude to hold them accountable. I mean, I, I, frankly, I think we need to flush them all out and start over. Isn't that the threat that Trump would do if he ever got back in there? Um, Hard, huh? Yeah, I, I, think, I think, yeah, I think that's a threat. But again, I don't see any way they're going to let him back in. They took a sitting president out of office, despite the obvious fact that 100, well, not 100 million, but probably 75 million people voted for him and not for Biden. I mean, anybody could see that. And yet he's not president now. Are we, um, I, I hear your, um, the, the final point I make with you, I hear your, uh, in some of your answers, a little bit of pessimism in the nation. I think we all have a little pessimistic viewpoint on some of these things because it's a daunting task, I think is what you're pointing out. It's a daunting task because the people that are in power are as corrupt as corrupt could be. Um, you, what's the path forward then? How do you have any sense in this independence week at this moment in our nation coming up to the semi-quincentennial, the importance of the next three years? Do you have any hope and feel of this nation and, and where we stand right now, uh, Sydney? Yes. I mean, every American who cares about it cannot sit on the sidelines any longer. They've got to get to their county commissioners and their state legislatures and demand at a minimum that our federal offices are filled by people elected on paper ballots, hand counted, create one or two days of voting, make it a national holiday and make people come to the polls. Make people come to the polls. What a novel approach, huh? <laughs> yep, with voter IDs, citizen a, voter IDs. But they've been fighting that for years, the ID. They don't even want people to prove who the hell they are. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous, but we've got to fight harder. I mean, some progress has been made on that front, but we've got to make even more. Everybody's got to get involved. Nobody can sit on the sidelines anymore. Everybody's got to get off their sofa and get involved in their precinct, in their county, somewhere. Get a group of your neighbors. Go to your county commissioner's meeting every month. Find out what is going on in your county. And the same other people need to do it in the state. Everybody's got to get involved. Everybody can do something. They need to start doing it, whether it's sitting there making phone calls to elected leaders or uh, going to meetings or working in the precinct. Everybody's got to do something. I mean, I, I no love more leaving it to other people to take care of it. 
Yeah, I love what you put out there, man. I mean, there's the marching orders, uh, and you 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 got it. I mean, I'm glad you said what you just said, and it, you know, um, thank you, Sydney, for putting that out there and being part of this big independence conversation. And uh, that's where we find ourselves today in a very difficult situation. You know, it's important. I'm glad Sydney chimed in here. It's really important to hear from voices like this who have been through a lot of this. They've been pulled from all kinds of directions. They've seen the corruptness and its rawness. And they speak out at least to wake people up. This is all about waking we the people up, friends, and, and to get people out loud. What do I always say at the end of every program? Get involved, get loud, America. That's what that means. we got to get involved. And this is your country. This is your home. This is your nation. This is your life. Um, this is what's at stake now. If America goes away, it's done. It's done. The whole world is done. It's over. It's over. We now go to another form of the dark ages would come in and you would have a new form of hell on earth. That's what you're looking at, my fellow Americans. Stay right there. We'll be back in just a moment with more Voice of a Nation. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at CofixRx.com. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back, my fellow Americans. It is Malcolm Out Loud here. Malcolm at 8, the voice of a nation. And uh, big voices this week, uh, the week of we the people. Here we are 247 years in. Going to have extraordinary broadcast all week long on this program. Amazing guest all week long. So stop in and see us, please, and help us get all this out here. Um, you've just heard from Sidney Powell. You've heard up top of the program. Going to bring back on now Paul Engel, Wallace Garneau. Join me. This is what you call open mic uh, segment here now. We're just going to have some fluid conversation about this. Uh, so... I know that uh, Wallace points out they're not going to follow it anyways, no matter what. Paul, is there any reason, just tell me straight out, is there any reason, you, any way or point that you would support a convention of states? Yes or no? I can't say there's no situation. So, yeah, I could see a situation where I might, but it would require the states to actually 
have enough backbone to stand up to to Congress's meddling. And I do not see at this point states with enough backbone to say, right. sorry, Congress. No, the states are the key. You're you're right to point that out. I, I keep pointing it out. Uh, and it, it's so important what you know, what Paul was saying to bring to the states that made the federal government. This was the whole key of this experiment. It's so important to remember that people we the people make the states. We the people made the federal government. So you want to blame anybody for this exercise. It's going to be we the people, basically. Uh, I, I think basically there. Uh, so, Wallace, let me then ask you this. If, under any circumstance, you would say, no, Convention of States, you don't really, I assume that's what you're saying. You don't like the idea that I'm going to follow it anyways. So what is the answer in your world moving forward to some of the problems we're having today in, in, in within this conversation, the context? Well, the answer, in my opinion, is for the states to reassert. And they've already largely done this. You're just afraid of the word I'm about to use. To have the states reassert their authority over in, in terms of interpreting the Constitution. The Supreme Court has a right and a power to interpret the Constitution, of course. That doesn't mean they're the only group that does. The, each individual state also has the right and the authority to interpret the Constitution. Why were we it, going to be offended by those words? Why did you say that? Uh, the actual word is nullification. A lot of people are offended by it. What, a lot of know, people confuse that with the Civil War, secession, and what have you. All right, well, hold on. Now, when nothing you, to do with it. When you say the word nullification, and you said you didn't say that initially, you said uh, the author said, okay, so tell me what, tell listeners what exactly you mean by nullification, please. By nullification, I mean that the states have the authority to declare uh, a consti- uh, declare a, a federal law or a federal action to be unconstitutional and to say, you may think you have the power to do that, but I'm not going to let you enforce that within the confines of this state. Yeah, that's the nullification point, and that's the benefit the states have, you're saying, yes? Right? Yeah, if, if enough right. states were to nullify the same federal law, right. the federal right. government now has to negotiate and okay. come up with a way of doing whatever it wants to do that does match the Constitution. All right, All right. let's ask Paul now. Paul, nullification. And you hear Wallace saying that. What do you think? He's absolutely right that that the, the states are the progenitors. They created the federal government, and the Constitution is a compact. It, it, it falls under contract law, and in contract law, the ultimate decision of what a contract means is the people who signed the contract. In the case of a compact, it's the states. They ratified it. They are the only entity allowed to for, that created the Constitution, which created the federal government. They're the only entities allowed to modify it by ratifying right. okay. a proposed amendment. Paul, why aren't the states doing this? Why aren't they doing more? Why aren't they doing this? Tell, what, 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 what's the reason? Well, let's face it. The you just you got politicians in Washington. You have politicians in all of our state houses. But I think there's something else to it because let's face it, politicians are human. As much as we would not like to include them in the human race, they are human. <laughs> For sure, they, they try all they can to avoid yeah, pain. Yeah. Why would a politician stand Why? up to do the right thing if he doesn't believe that his constituents will support him? There's no reason to. So most politicians are more afraid of their political party and their donors than they are the people they represent because they know the people they represent aren't going to do anything about it because either because those people are ignorant or they're and I mean ignorant. I mean, they just don't understand. They haven't read the. Constitution. No, it is ignorance. A lot of it's yeah. ignorance. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I explain it just because I don't want people to get the wrong impression, but they either don't know what it says. They don't understand their power. Right. They don't right. understand the power of the of the, the state over the federal government. Right. Right. Or well, but, yeah. they're just more interested in the money. 
No, you're right. You're right. Some of it's ignorance, some of it's stupidity, and some of it is they don't chose they just don't give a rat's ass, Paul. Okay. They've I mean been, it's pick your poison. They've been, they've been bribed by the federal trough, as as Alexis de Tocqueville said. The United States will exist until Congress figures out it can bribe the people with the people's money. Well, they've been doing that right along. So we would no longer really exist then, according to, to Tocqueville, for sure. Um, Wallace, this point that uh, Paul is making, uh, speak about that, um, please. And they do do it, Malcolm. Every time that Arizona called itself a Second Amendment sanctuary state, they were preemptively nullifying any law that is unconstitutional with regard to the Second Amendment. Uh, every state that has made itself a sanctuary state or a sanctuary city, for that matter, is essentially saying we will nullify federal law within our boundaries. Now, in the case of sanctuary cities with regards to immigration, they don't have any constitutional grounds to stand on. They're not saying the immigration laws are unconstitutional, so we're not going to enforce them. They're simply saying we're not going to enforce them. But the Second Amendment sanctuary law in, in Arizona is a clear-cut case of uh, of that. Uh, we see Ron DeSantis in Florida doing all kinds of things with uh, woke schools, right. saying, you know, Department of Education can kiss my ass we're not doing that here right so you're saying there uh, so hold on now so you're you're saying you're, you've got some great examples you just put out there you're saying they're already doing they're already exercising some of this nullification point yeah i just want to see him stand up and say you know what to hell with you we're nullifying it you're not doing that and uh you know you want to have a little spat over but you just said they're already doing it you're they just are said- but i want them to use the word i want them to be open that they're doing it i want them to do it courageously and i want them to do it far more frequently i want them to use it as a tool right. as paul said and not just as a as, as a bludgeon to pull out every now and then i want a scalpel i don't want a bludgeon i want them to use it a lot well, I, but you, Paul, uh, in your world, are they already doing this? What what Wallace is explaining the, the these examples because the, his ex- perfect example was when they ruled themselves a sanctuary city or sanctuary state, uh, and uh, other examples he just put out there. What do you think? Well, I, I agree. There's there's legislation, but to me, there's a difference between words and actions. And you know, so Arizona declared themselves a Second Amendment sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Kansas did something similar back in two thousand three when they declared that any uh, firearm or accessory made, sold, and remaining in the state of Kansas did not fall under the the the, the firearms, you know, uh, uh, federal firearms law, the National Firearms Act, um, which worked until the ATF showed up. And as soon as the ATF showed up and arrested people, the, the politicians in Kansas folded like a cheap suit. So okay. they used the words... Uh, there's very, it, it seems to me rare that they use the action. The, the one exception so far, right. you, you, you talk about sanctuary cities. Um, okay. As, as well as those are, those are cities. You don't see a lot of the states pushing back. You see them with marijuana pushing back, but what you don't see is the federal government pressuring them. No, you know, no. It's like, I mean, Colorado the, did it with marijuana. You're right. California has done it with a sanctuary state. So yeah, there's examples of that. So there's there's no actual cost to it. So my question is, if the federal government were ever to push, would they stand or would they fold? If I were the governor of a state, the federal agent came in and tried to do something that I had nullified, I would arrest the federal agents and throw them in jail. Let the federal government negotiate then. Now I've got now I've got people in jail that they have to negotiate over as well. Which it's is really what a fo- which head. is really what a foreign government does. I mean, this is what what we deal with all the time: throwing people in jail because they don't like the well, policy. We used to refer to states as sovereign states. They are sovereign, at least they're supposed to be. 
if you're violating a state law, you're in violation of a state law. If a federal agent wants to come in and violate state law, they're in violation of state law. Now, you may negotiate with the federal government and say, okay, fine, we'll let them out, but you have to promise oh. to play nice. But they are in violation of state oh. law, and they, they, they shouldn't. Hey, let, me ask you, in jail. let me ask you both this. I was thinking you brought up this perfect example with our open borders right now and the travesty that's happening in our country, this uh, sanctuary city, you guys said, in sanctuary state. Really, don't we really have right now? I mean, I, I see that on multiple levels, but isn't part of the problem right now as well that the federal government is trying to make the entire United States of America a sanctuary country? I don't hear anybody saying that, but isn't that what's happening? Uh, Paul, you first. Paul? Well, I, yeah, there, I, I'd say there are forces within the, the, the federal government that um, don't believe in borders. They have a one world view and um, the chaos that comes from having open borders is beneficial to them. Isn't that what they're doing? I'm asking you, Paul, but, not the why or how, but isn't that what they're doing? Aren't they trying to make the USA a sanctuary country? Isn't that what we got yeah. going here? There, there are there are forces that are doing that. But the other thing we forget is, as Wallace mentioned, states are sovereign. So an, an international border isn't simply the border of the United States. It's also the border of a state. And that state has the legal authority to protect its own Well, territory. look at what's happened in Texas, Arizona, all of these states here in Southern California. But they're all, yeah, but the federal government's not doing their job. So we got a broken relationship there as well. What do you, Wallace, this point about the, um, uh, you know, I really, it looks to me like that's what the Biden people are doing is they're trying to make this a sanctuary country. I, you don't hear that, but isn't that what's happening? They're doing it without saying they're doing it. Texas actually put up razor wire in some of the areas where they yes. didn't have walls. The Biden administration sent in federal agents and cut the razor wire down. So, oh, yeah, they they're... did cut it down? Hold on. Stop there. They did cut it down, Wallace? Yes. Yes. Because really... I know they also had those barriers in the water, those expensive, uh, uh, you know, those big expensive uh, bloats that, you know what I mean, created yeah. a wall. I don't know if those are gone or not, but they removed the razor wire. Uh, but I, the, I think the point is, they're trying to make this a post-constitutional country. And uh, under Obama, historians are even beginning to refer to the United States as being in a post-constitutional age. So that's what they're trying to do. Well, well hold on. If you say the federal government just cut that wire, that that's that's earth that's earth shattering to me. Why isn't it that uh, again Texas and the governor there? Why didn't he have his agents out there uh, at gunpoint to say you touch the wire, you son of a bitch, and I'm going to put a hole right through you? Apparently, Evans got more brains than balls. Yeah, all right, all right. Well, that's fair, <laughs> Paul. I mean, I mean, how, how do you how does this, how is the state supposed to push back on that? Well, you mentioned it. Maybe not by putting holes in. How about putting handcuffs on them? They're breaking state law. That is state property. That is a state Amen. border. And what's interesting is, you know, if you read the Constitution, the federal government is there to back up the state. That's right. To from invasion, not right. to not to to guard the border. Immigration right. is not actually a federal issue. Right. right. Uh, the border is not a federal issue. But they're there when the state is having a problem dealing with an invasion right. to come in and support the state. All right. All right. This is great. Now, the answer to this, guys, is then is uh, that I mean, I, we see it out here clearly is the states when we talk about the 10th Amendment and states rights, Paul. Uh, this is why we keep hearkening back to that point is the states are not exercising. Well, what Wallace said, being a sovereign state, you don't, he, that's a great term. You don't hear that term anymore, but, and you just doubled it up. You said as well, but that's a term we should be using more. The states should be sovereign, but they're, they're really not anymore. Right. Luckily the federal government's stupid. The people they're bringing in are, uh, 
anti-abortion Catholics. They're natural Republicans. So in order to try to take down the Republican Party, they're bringing in people whose children are going to vote Republican. They're stupid. Really? All right. All right. Um, you know, it, it it's interesting though. We talk about sovereign states and the Tenth Amendment. Actually, there's one there's one clause which I don't think we pay much attention to. To me, it's the Swiss Army knife of all this, and that's the supremacy clause. It's it's recognizing that the Constitution is supreme over every act of Congress, over every every treaty, and that the judges in every state are bound to it. Once we realize that just because Congress writes a law doesn't mean it's constitutional, it's legal, it's legitimate. In fact, there are court cases going back to you know eight early 1800s, mid-1800s, that when Congress acts outside of its authority, that act is void. It's empty. It's empty. It's meaningless. We understand that. I believe that's even more powerful than the the Tenth Amendment becomes a great supporter of that. Um, but we 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 focus on the Tenth Amendment. That's great. That's right. wonderful. But I think it's a, it's the supremacy clause that we can put teeth behind it. Right. Yeah. Let me throw one more piece in there, Paul. Uh, you left out the Supreme Court and you listed everything that is under the supremacy clause. The Supreme Court doesn't have the right to change the Constitution. Oh, it's even better than that. A court opinion is never considered the supreme law of the land. Thank Only you. three things are in the supremacy clause. The Constitution, laws made pursuant to the Constitution, and treaties made under the authority of the United States defined by the Constitution. The courts do not exist as supreme law because courts cannot make law. Right. That, that's an important point right there. People look at the Supreme Court as God Almighty, Paul, you know, and they're not. They're not. And Right. I mean, they're not supposed Absolutely. to interpret this, it, but yeah. it's why in all the recent news, people talk about Supreme Court rulings. The Supreme Court doesn't rule. It offers an opinion. And in fact, if you read the document, it says in the opinion of the court, uh, this is it. But then so hold on. So we've taken this branch, we've made it political, and then we take those opinions and we call it gospel. We say it's gospel. Why is that? We call it law because they call it law, and most people have not read the constitution to understand no all laws need to be made by congress anything a law not made by congress is not a legitimate so legal th- once law it gets case. done with the supreme court it's an opinion then do we wait for congress to do their thing to stamp it is that the idea well you have to understand that when a court offers an opinion that opinion is only binding on the parties to the case mm-hmm. it's not binding on the entire nation it's simply this is what what happened was this idea of precedent, this idea of we've, right, we've opined right. this way before, so we'll opine this way again. Everybody said, well, if they're good, just going to find for the other guy, why bother? Well, and what's happened? You, know, you brought up a good into, point. This precedent is rubbish. I mean, you know, just because John Jr. screwed it up back in 1942, we'll continue to screw it up all the way forward. It's dumb. It, exactly. But again, most people... Because it's not taught in schools, it's not taught in law school, it's not taught in primary schools, it's not taught in high schools. They aren't taught the basic concept of the the three branches of government and how people often call them the three co-equal branches of government. That is a lie. There are three branches. They are no in no way equal. And if we understood that, uh, you know, th- then it's our lack of understanding of that and this the uh, fact they're that not we don't equal. go to document quickly what, what what's the one two three quickly in your opinion what are they one two three you, the supremacy clause the 10th amendment and the due process clauses those are the three things you go after okay all right wallace what do you think 
I think that the states have to get back to backstopping the Supreme Court and questioning the Supreme Court decisions. If they disagree, the Supreme Court does not have any authority over the states. They should just say that and force the federal government to negotiate so that it can stay within constitutional boundaries. Well, to that point, though, the next problem, Wallace, would be, which we'll have to talk about another uh, day here, but uh, the next problem is that there are red states and blue states. Some of those states that are uh, bright blue and where the cities are urban cesspools would gladly jump in and do whatever they needed to do to get a radical Marxist agenda. Isn't that the problem as well, Wallace? If California wants to wave a Marxist flag, California can let their freak flag fly. They have no authority over me. Right. But that's what's happening. We are a divided states of America. We are. But let's keep in mind that I like to look at it. Maybe Paul can depend on this also. The Constitution defines what the powers of the federal government are in terms of these are the things the federal government can do. The Bill of Rights defines what the federal government and the state governments cannot do. So the states can do whatever they want as long as they don't violate this whole idea, though. uh, I'm going to end it right here with you both for this day today. This whole idea of the United States of America, based on everything we've talked about and this experiment that we suggest, I think is badly failed. And everybody who keeps telling me that it's the greatest this and that and the other, I'm not really seeing it. And this whole notion of the states and where they fall, I mean, really, I think we need to name change. Paul, we, let's, we need to get a brand and market an expert, and I could do this. I did it for a living. But we need to rebrand the company, the country as the divided states of America. We're not the United States. We're never going to be united. This was all I a joke. It was a bad joke. So what do you say to that? I, I say the problem is you are conflating united with unified. You can be oh. united and still have differences. You, you know, you and your wife oh, that's true. are united, that's true. but you're different, but you're not unified. The problem well, we're not is united in the for unified states of America, principle. and that's what we don't have. We're not united in, in principle. That We're not united in the Constitution. We're not united in a sovereign nation. We're not united in a whole lot of things, right? I disagree. The problem is we're united. We just don't agree on everything. We are we are in a bad, you almost call, call it a difficult marriage where the, the spouses are arguing over things and not listening to each other, not willing to compromise. That doesn't mean the marriage doesn't exist. It just means that right now it's a raucous, difficult, unpleasant marriage. Okay. Wallace, last word to that point. If California is my wife, I want a divorce. There you go. There you go. That's it. If California wants a divorce, and that's where we're at, I think. Uh, I think Wallace picked up on my point uh, pretty well there, uh, and uh, th- that is the point. We're in sort of a marriage that is it, that is weird, that is odd, based on the conversation we're just having with Paul and Wallace. I felt like we just did a game show, friends, and we just went. <laughs> I think what's your answer? What's behind door number three, please, or door number two, whatever is it? But I I concluded a whole lot of things, and my head is a bit spinning here. I'm sure yours is as well. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to take up the spirit of 1776, and this will be 2A, will be a big feature of this. Uh, We'll be talking about, again, is this a birthday or a wake? Uh, this Independence Day that we're talking about here. And what are we really celebrating at this point? These are things I'm trying to bring it back down to Earth and really get us to think. This this is why this is so interesting, this exercise this week uh, that we're doing here. So that'll be tomorrow. Join us every day here again, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on uh, iHeartRadio, on America Out Loud Talk Radio here. And we'll continue to push the ball forward. And listen, happy Independence Day, my fellow Americans. It's time to get involved and get loud, America. America.